Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Natalia, and welcome back to Unfiltered Fashion Talks. Today, we have Azizi with us. How are you? Hi, Natalia. I'm doing well. Good. I'm so happy to have you on today. So let's just start with like a little basic introduction of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Zichi. Uh, I'm currently living in New York City, living my best 20s life here. Love that. <laughs> I'm the co-founder and COO of Resource Fashion. Uh, it's a venture-backed startup also based in New York City. Uh, we are providing the simplest supply chain for the most ambitious fashion founders. And uh, I am from Chengdu, China. It's a city where pandas are from. Uh, we're also known for spicy food. If anyone has had Sichuan food, that's my province. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to the States when I was 17. I went to Duke and graduated um, in 2019 and moved to the city. Wow, that's so cool. Um, so what brought you into like wanting to be in the fashion world? Have you always wanted to be in it like since you were little or was it kind of like random? Because you went to Duke, so I assume you didn't really do fashion oh, there. <laughs> the, I, I mean, I think it's a coincidence, but at the same time, I do think there is some sort of universal energy that pushed me and my co-founder there. So mm-hmm. um When I say it's a coincidence, it's because we didn't start with fashion at all when we wanted to start a startup. So I, after I graduate, I uh, I started my career at a consulting firm and uh, it's nothing related to fashion. Did a lot of healthcare (laughs) and HR, worked for Facebook, all of these irrelevant companies. what I'm doing right now and I quit my job uh, 2020 I think and um, around that time my co-founder and I we have been starting to try out different business ideas we wanted to build a startup that helps other entrepreneurs Uh, we started with like live stream uh, along with doing a couple other different stuff like building the short video solution uh wholesale marketplace which is already fashion but Mm -hmm. uh, we stumbled upon fashion because we wanted to also start a fashion brand uh as a way to you know test out how we work well together but also we love fashion we wanted to you know just leverage the fact that we both from china and we know landscape pretty well also my mom actually has been in industry for two decades oh wow so, um yeah so she actually uh she has a very traditional fashion trading business in china in guangzhou and they essentially produce clothes um for overseas big brands uh they work with a lot of very big israeli brands um including top shop and the, the Zara of Israel. And I grew up like seeing her doing that, never really thinking that I would be part of it. Uh, and my mom definitely always hoped that I can have a more chill corporate job and <laughs> have a lifestyle. Uh, she was very concerned when I quit my job, obviously, like mm-hmm. any mom would. Of course. Uh, yeah, but I think it, it's a, such a coincidence that we, we started the fashion brand. We start to see all of these problems in a space and decided that, okay, I, we do think we have very much the unfair advantage being that we are both from the from China where majority of the clothes are produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, also that my mom has been in the industry for long enough to provide us some quick insights and some resources. So that's how we got started. Yeah. 
That's so cool. I love that you have like a link back to it with your mom and you didn't even think that you'd end up there. And like, it just, it's so full circle. That's so cool. Yeah, totally. Because I also like grew up um, in Chengdu where, but then my mom actually works in Guangzhou. Guangzhou Mm -hmm. is like the ecosystem of uh, the apparel supply chain. So um, a lot of the fabric mill, sample rooms and manufacturers are all in China and Mm -hmm. uh, all in Guangzhou actually precisely. And I didn't really grow up with a lot of attention from my mom. mom, So we were not very close growing Mm -hmm. up. I I would say like right now, even though I live in the US, she lives Mm -hmm. in China we talk so much about the fashion manufacturing right. and for some reason it has really bonded us as as a family which is which is like definitely a surprise I did not expect when I quit my mm-hmm. job and decided to do startup yeah yeah no I love that I love that it brought you together in such a weird way oh, being yeah. so like far apart oh, actually yeah my, my co-founder is back in China right now because mm-hmm. we are developing our uh, supply chain side and we are hiring we're starting our office, et cetera. And she's living with my mom right now. So really? I'm on the same roof. And uh, I, I had this running joke. So she was back since uh, February already. And she has been uh, preparing for the office, hiring people. So already like our, our company has been turned upside down, essentially, especially mm-hmm. on our China side. And um also, we have been in touch every morning and evening because there is 12-hour time difference. Right. Just living with my mom. So it does feel like a long-distance <laughs> relationship to some degree. And also, like, the day that our office opened, because I, I did not follow anything. And then one day, she just suddenly sent me a video of our grand opening <sighs> office that looks amazing. And it just does feel like when you're in a long-distance relationship and you have a baby born <laughs> without... <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. No, that's so cool. So tell us more about resource and like what you guys do and how you kind of came up with the idea and everything. Yeah. So um, as, as I said, we are building the simplest uh, supply chain solution for the modern day fashion founders, uh, which is like you and me, a lot of young mm-hmm. people are now entering the space. It's no longer being controlled by the big brothers. A lot of the re- big retailers are dying. So we see a lot of opportunities of the new entrants wanting to shape up the industry to a different lookout. Mm-hmm. And um, the way it works is very similar to Uber Eat. So uh, we are like the Uber Eat system that do not really own any of the restaurants or the delivery person, uh, the same way that we don't own any fabric mill or manufacturers. But we have team in China that helps uh, to facilitate the entire process through our digital platform. So it's extremely simple, extremely easy on the brand side to see uh, a, like a clothing from the start to finish. And another thing is uh, we are able to produce clothes with no minimal quantity, uh, with consistent quality and uh, a very good lead time. So uh, companies like Shein or Cider, they are like very popular fast fashion brands of the, mm-hmm. of today. And um, we're not necessarily agreeing with the way they do fast fashion. However, we do think like a very agile and uh, efficient supply chain is great for any clothing line. And in reality, mm-hmm. we work with a lot of sustainable brands. Um, and that really enables them to not have to have much inventory and be able to produce things fast and test out the idea and different style before they go fall into like a, a bulk production of many, many quantities. So that's a model that we are working with uh, brands right now. And uh, it's, it's been going really well. Yeah. 
Good. No, I'm so glad to hear it because I've been kind of dabbling into talking to different manufacturers and stuff for myself and my own brand. And the minimum order quantities are what gets me every time. They're so, so high at most places. Like I feel like the lowest was like 150. And like for a small brand, that's a huge amount exactly. of like inventory. Yeah. That's the that's a problem we encountered ourselves when we were mm-hmm. starting our own closing line. So it was called um, ZNT Style Lab. It's still mm-hmm. on Instagram. We still have a fa- uh, have a page if you are interested. <laughs> um, but at that time, we we learned that like the minimum order quantity is such a big pain for anyone that are starting off because you don't really have that capital to start like to start with 150 um, quantity and also. Um, if you do that, then you, you probably cannot have multiple styles to test out like what works best for mm-hmm. your target customer. And that's just not the best model for, for the brand, for the customer and for the earth. So that's why like our, our like very, very, the, the problem we care most about is the minimal quantity. So mm-hmm. uh, digital dashboard is great, but that is also to make the process more, you know, uh, manageable and make everyone's life easier. So manufacturers are much more willing to produce smaller quantity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's so cool. And it is such a big problem that I've found personally. And then I know, you know, friends and stuff that have also found it hard to find manufacturers that can do the lower quantities. So it's cool that yeah. you guys have like your own kind of, I guess, like yeah. group of people that's, that do that. Right. I think it's also like, uh, maybe it will be helpful for anyone who are listening. Mm-hmm. I can also slightly dive deeper into why manufacturers they do not want to do small yeah, totally. manufacturing. So if you think about it, like when a new brand is working with manufacturers, there is a lot of uh, work going into especially developing a new style. So when a when a designer or, or a brand owner has a style in mind, they go to manufacturer and tell them like this is the tech pack or this is an image of the product I want to produce and manufacturers normally are the partner that helps the brand source the fabric uh, doing the prototype and normally there are like two three rounds of uh, sample making and prototyping for the style to become the perfect for the brands there's also like grading sizing a lot of factors coming Mm -hmm. into play and the fabric also might not be good enough then they need to search another round of fabric and trim so all of these prolong the time and the investment from the manufacturers so by the time the manufacturer actually starts to produce you know bulk bulk quantity they already invested a lot of time energy into the developing uh new style and uh that's the reason why manufacturers they can really not they, not they cannot really afford not producing in big quantity and when brands work with us it is a little bit different because we take care of a lot of the heavy lifting part especially in the early stage of the garment development and we only pass it on to manufacturer once we confirm on the fabric confirm on the style and details so um, manufacturers in our network is much more likely to produce small quantity another thing is like we we have like a three different tiers of supply side that we work with. So there is sample room. Uh, sample room, they literally produce with no minimal quantity whatsoever because they they are used to producing one, one style for one mm-hmm. quantity. And then 
Um, they are also able to do like five pieces, 10 pieces of the same style as well. Uh, there are workers that work there every day and they can get more workers if needed pretty easily. And the actual sewer who seal the clothes will be there. So it's very easy to make sure that the quality is up to standard. Um, and also once like brands want to produce more quantity than like 10, 20 pieces, we can pass on to this family studio that are based in uh, the same city in Guangzhou. So Guangzhou is a, like a huge ecosystem with lots of the uh, professionals and materials available, all condensed in one central area, making everything super fast, super easy to access. And uh, as I said, like if the sample room's capacity cannot fulfill the needs of the brand, but they are not yet reaching the factory level, we will pass on to family studios. So this family studio is run by single families uh, who are clothing professional who even have all the machines at their home. So they do a lot of production in their home. It's also like really good for uh, providing additional way of, you know, uh, wages for them. And mm -hmm. we love working with these family studios as well. And finally, uh, if the actual quantity is big enough, we pass on to manufacturer. So in, the, in that way, uh, no matter how many pieces the clients want to work with, we do have solution for all types of uh, demand. No, I think that's so cool. And I love that you work with like, um, like family studios and stuff too, because I think there's such a weird stigma around things being manufactured in China a lot of the times where everybody uh, assumes it to always be like cheap, like slave labor type thing, which like obviously, yes, it exists, but it doesn't mean that everything is made that way. So I think it's cool to highlight that it could be this like really small family run thing and you could be providing like, you know, a living wage for somebody over there too and yeah, providing yeah, them a life. Absolutely. I, I don't get me even started with, with yeah. <laughs> production. I do think sometimes it becomes a bit uh, racist when yes. people think like all things produced in China and Asia is unethical when mm -hmm. whereas things produced in uh, Italy is automatically ethical and mm -hmm. uh, the, the fact is like the wage in China by standard is way lower <laughs> like right. you've just pay them way less compared to what you would pay in any western country anyway um, and there's a reason why like things produced in China are of the best quality and the best you know quality of the payment that you pay as well because people here have been in the industry for many many decades it's it, there's a history of you know the garment industry in a very small city a lot of people are trained professionally to do the work uh, and in reality like any you know this production is providing an additional way like way of living for many people there so uh, I, I would say like the unethical part comes in when the workers have to work overnight to make sure mm -hmm. that casually time and we are building like a very digital system so everything is much more under control to avoid those kind of last minute uh, production tasks that are like pushed forward onto these factory workers so that's a, that's where the unethical part comes in but with mm -hmm. the manufacturers and any of the partners in our network we actually do conduct site visit and do a lot of due diligence to make sure that these are good owners that are treating their people fairly and we go to the factory to take pictures and videos of actually the living and working situation to make sure that these people are you know uh, living in very comfortable situation yeah no I think that's so cool because yeah like you said I feel like people assume things to be made in the west are like 
you know, all perfectly ethical and like, there's, you know, not great places even in the US that are like, um, you know, treating their workers improperly as well. So it, I hate that stigma around in the fashion industry specifically. It is the worst. Um, but yeah, like you said, obviously it's just, I think living costs are also different in different places. So like even within the U S it's like, if you live in the middle of nowhere, like I live in the Midwest, I'm like, you're going to be paid less here just because it costs less to live here. Whereas like in New York, you're going to have higher wages because it's just more expensive to live there. Like, it's just a weird, it's a balance yeah. in that way too. Yeah. You know, the other thing is, I think I'm from China, so right. I'm there and I move here. And one thing I want to say is I feel mm-hmm. like there is a much more of a hardworking culture in China because like we have gone through a lot of, you know, historical difficulty and right. challenges with like having access to food. Uh, I mean, it's like much more people and much less resources. So mm-hmm. people naturally work very hard from the time that they were very young. There's a reason why, like we are so good at math. We are not doing <laughs> with math. So the same thing goes to uh, the apparel production. Like people work on weekend. It's not because like it's unethical that they are working on weekend. It's because they want to provide good living for their family. They voluntarily choose to work on weekends so they can make more money. And mm-hmm. it is a culture there too, um, but it's not like people are unhappy. Uh, I mean, hardworking itself, it does like provide them less time in you know chill time. However, mm-hmm. it's also like a choice of themselves. And um, unfortunately, like the world is not equal and it's not fair everywhere, but I wouldn't call that unethical at all on my end. Like I, when I was growing up, my mom always, always worked on a weekend in the apparel industry. And I believe like if you work with manufacturers in LA, nobody would work on weekend. It's not because they are more ethical. It's just the culture being different and people born there might be more fortunate to some degree. But yeah, that's, that's like my hot take on the yeah. part of the production. <laughs> No, no, I love that because I think you bring up a really good point that there's just also cultural differences that people might not understand. I mean, like, I feel like working cultures are different everywhere. Like, I don't know, like Europe has a very chill working culture, even compared to America, where it's more like corporate America. And like that is different than what it will be in Asia. And like everybody just has a different way of, you know, prioritizing different things. And it's not good or bad. It's just different. You know? Yeah. Even like different people in the same city can be very Yeah, Totally all work all the time on weekends some people don't even like to work during weekdays so yeah exactly exactly no so I think that's that's really cool um but going more into like the businessy side of things what was it like um starting the company and like you said you've uh what's the word you have gotten like investments and stuff like that um how was that whole deal because especially as like a woman and I'm like I'm sure even just being foreign is probably 10 times harder to try to get that, especially here in the US. So I'm just kind of curious to how that process went for you. Yeah, certainly. So uh, my co-founder and I, so she actually uh, quit her job even a few months before me, but we set our mind to do startup um, starting from, I think last year, beginning of last year, I quit my job too. And we have been, uh, as I already explained, like trying out different ideas. And we didn't really start raising funds until we are pretty confident about our idea. So that's already probably slightly different from a lot of other founders. I know like a lot of second time founders or 
like some male founders who are very confident about themselves, they go out raising funds without having a proper product, especially in the Web3 crypto world right now. It's really heated the market. But mm -hmm. with us, uh, I think we are both very down to earth people. We want to actually build a product that solves problem. Um, and we have like been talking to hundreds of users actually making product for them and making sure that people are willing to pay for what we are producing. And we are actually providing value to whoever we're serving. So we started fundraising last year in summer after we already started working with around 10 users. Uh, at that time, our product was more so a wholesale marketplace. So we help fashion brands do sourcing and do a lot of customization onto their product. We wanted to solve the same problem, same problem being minimum order quantity being too high for a lot of new players to enter. It's just that right now we have a much, much better solution uh, targeting the actual infrastructural problem of the industry. Um, but going back to fundraising, we started fundraising last, uh, I think July-ish and Definitely not an easy journey because both my co-founder and I, we are not from this country. We don't really have any legacy connection that some of our peers' parents do have. Um, and 2% of the venture fund goes to female actually, uh, I think last year, and that was lowest number since 2018. Uh, so venture capital world is definitely not like a female dominated world like many mm -hmm. other uh, elite industry and um and it triples down trickles down to how it 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 affects the VC's decision. So there are much less VC partners in VC. And that means like most of the people we interact with are males in the VC world. However, uh eventually we were able to secure two VC funds, both are institutional, really great uh, venture capitalists. And both funds, we started talking to their female partners. So e even though like these two funds are owned by uh, male partners, like they are the actual founding partner, um, the partners that actually pick us, pick, pick up our project and had the first conversation with us and determined that our project is worth investing their time in were both female partners. So I do think like the industry uh, and both and both are minority female uh, partners. One is an African-American partner. Another one is an Asian um, partner. Uh, so I like I do think for the future to change, uh, more women need to be in the leadership position and having the decision power and uh, overall the ecosystem will slowly change, hopefully uh, with that effort. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're so right. It's so sad that like, like you said, the statistic of like only 2% went to women. Like that's such a small, small, small percentage in this yeah. day and age, like in 2022, yeah. like what the heck? I mean, I mean, obviously like it's not only to blame on the venture capital world, right? also much less women. Another fun story mm -hmm. is I was part of a uh, founder program last December. I was in LA living there for a month. It's called Lounge House. So uh, it's a residential program for founders. And I was living with 20 guys and I was- Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think I think normally the ratio is not that off, but just by accident, the, the day it start, uh, five females dropped. So I was the only female entering the program and lived with 20 guys under the same roof for a month. It was a very fun experience and definitely made a lot of good friends, uh, even changed my perspective about men to some good way. So well, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> but um, 
but I do think like there are also much less women founder, uh, obviously to blame like the, the way we grew up, we were brought up. For me, like my mom was an entrepreneur. My mom also always like had much more like, you know, financial power as well in my family. And that mm-hmm. definitely helped a lot for me to, you know, grow up believing that women can do a lot and don't really feel a, a, lot, of, a lot of like uh, self-limiting belief uh with, with the way I grew up but I know it's definitely not the case for the majority of the world yeah no for sure I think that's that you have a very valid point there how has it been like starting the company with your co-founder like what I don't know what challenges have you found just like working together because I'm sure it's not easy to start a company with somebody else and like I don't know just in terms of giving like advice to people who might be doing the same like what should you like look for in a partner that you're starting something with or like I know what challenges have you guys faced yeah that's a great question so uh we actually went to the same college so we knew each other pretty early on uh Mm -hmm. which is great I think you always want to find people who you can trust and the best way is to search from your existing friend group or your college friends because uh you know them or your friends know them very well which is always a good sign um and then another thing is I think we're very lucky in the sense that we didn't really know how it would feel like to work together at all. Like we weren't, we didn't do any project together at school. So I think like doing project obviously is the best way to gauge what is someone's, you know, work personality like and Mm -hmm. what are their natural tendencies, uh, naturally, like what are they more good at um, or what do they like to do more than the others? Uh, But we just started working together uh, because we both know that we wanted to start a company and I think one key thing is we have very much aligned value that's definitely a big thing uh, I would recommend anyone to look for when they're searching for a partner it's very similar to finding a life partner because <laughs> you are stick together for the next five ten years of your life you want to make sure you work with someone you like uh, and most importantly you like people who share similar value like imagine if you work with someone who value different things in life like if my if my goal of building a startup is to empower women is to empower more people whereas mm-hmm. my partner's goal is to make more money then that will make a lot of our like opinions on decision to be very different and ultimately will definitely cause a lot of issue and arguments between the two but very fortunately we have very much aligned value both of our parents uh, are small business owners so we have a very natural tendency and desire to empower this group of people and we're both like very much impact driven people we want to the goal for us to build company is to leave a positive impact to the world rather than have any you know monetary or ego-driven um, desire so I think that's mm-hmm. very important and finally I think we have very compatible skill sets in the sense that we're pretty different in in the way we live and mm-hmm. we work as humans so she I think she she's like much more of a long-term planner and uh, very strategic about a lot of things um, and less extroverted and less less of like a people person she would mm-hmm. much more prefer to you know, work by herself in the morning, having a lot of things planned out and then execute extremely well. And I think I'm I'm much more of a very passionate thinker and very people person and um, yeah, like very easy to, kind of easy to get distracted, but also mm-hmm. 
the distraction a lot of times bring us a lot of good stuff right so I think like and she's really helpful for me to like pull me back whenever I got distracted in some way so I think <laughs> Um, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have her as my business partner. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. It sounds like you're very complimentary, which is very important to have. I think it would be bad if you were too similar. Obviously it's bad if you're too, too different, but like, I feel like if you're at that perfect, like, you know, balance of each other, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. I think like the value has to be very similar, but then aside Mm -hmm. from the value personality or skill sets can can be different and like different people can bring a lot of different things to the table right right no I love that um so what was it like kind of getting in touch with all these like companies and manufacturers and kind of building out that aspect of your company like was it did you find it difficult to do so or not really since I guess you have like your mom who has like connections in that side of things um what was that like yeah that's a great question um so not really much help from my mom on that end. Uh, she was very helpful in providing us with a lot of insights and some sort of connection. But mm-hmm. a lot of the partners we have are actually found by ourselves, especially the smaller scale uh, sample rooms and family studio, because my mom, her expertise is working with very, very big brands. And those manufacturers, obviously, they have much more of a uh, pressure to you know meet the minimal the quantity requirement for them to be profitable to pay for their worker so everything there's mm-hmm. a business logic behind but for us we we need to work with uh, partners of a smaller scale who are willing to work with small minimal order quantity and able to meet our timeline and we strategically picked our office in a very big conglomerate of conglomerate building of sample rooms. So we are surrounded by hundreds of sample rooms. And we now already work with 20 sample rooms. We're in the same building. They're already using our system. So everything is extremely uh, streamlined already. And it's not that difficult to onboard a sample room because we are having dozens of uh, brands already working with us. So we have a lot of orders. As long as you have orders, these manufacturers or suppliers, they want to work with you. So whoever has orders has a power and that's the advantage of becoming an aggregator of different brands. So if like if it's one brand going into these, ma- these sample rooms or manufacturers, they are very small and these suppliers wouldn't take them seriously. However, we as resource, we aggregate so much demand. And when we go to these different suppliers, we are one of their biggest partners and they definitely take us seriously, which means they will do things much more on time uh, with the quality that we asked for. I love that. No, I think that's so cool. And obviously, like, I feel like what you guys have created is just so cool because I think it's hard as just a designer yourself to look for all these resources and like places to work with. Like, I don't know, myself as a brand, like looking for manufacturers or even textile mills, whatever, like it's so hard to just find them if you're not in the area of it as well. Um, So I think it's cool that you've been able to like, you know, build yourself up to a point where like these people want to work with you too. And like, you have that for yourself. Yeah. Another thing with with this is like if you are a brand and you work with only work with one manufacturer, it's actually really risky because when the manufacturer is at their full capacity, the wait time to get your work done is like limitless, to be honest. Like they all, they will always prioritize on big customer as well. But for us, we have like right now already over 30 different partners that working with that is working with us. And over time, our goal is definitely to expand to even more. Our goal for the next year is to 
work with the entire building uh, of the sample room. So hundreds of sample rooms will be working with us. And at that point, whenever like brands have order for us, we will be able to identify one available sample room that can do the work very well. And by that point, we also will have lots of data on um, which sample rooms does what well. And with a lot of AI, ML, machine learning uh, technology, we will be able to very quickly identify the best partner for different types of um, techniques or clothing that brands are requesting for. Uh, at that point, uh, it will even be a better process for both brands and the suppliers. Yeah, no, I think that's such an important point too, because not every manufacturer specializes in like every single thing, which is something I've also kind of come across. It's like, there's some that specialize in like athleisure a lot, or some that are like more high-end quality things or like, just like different fabric types that they specialize in even. So it, yeah, it's important to have like a big wide range of people to choose from. Cause yeah, I don't think it's good to stick to just one. So yeah, that's, that's so cool. I love that. Um, so if somebody wanted to like work with you guys, what's the process like? Like what do they like bring a design to you guys? Like what walk us through how, if anybody listening wants to, you know, work <laughs> with you guys, what would that look like? Yeah. So they first sign up. So we have very different system compared to how agency or manufacturers work. When brands work with us, they subscribe. So it's a monthly subscription-based service. Uh, when they subscribe, once they complete the payment, they can they will start to be able to log into our internal system where everything happens. So uh, traditionally, when you work with manufacturers or agencies, there are a lot of you know emails, phone calls, and uh, text messages happening with the files everywhere. And we specifically built a system where we can handle all of the requests all in one place. And our China team, as well as our uh, manufacturers and sample rooms, they are using the same system. We're sharing the same data. So whenever brands have a request, everyone in the system can see it. Uh, essentially, once brands sign up, they will log into the system. They can start requesting style. They can either upload their tag pack and then uh, telling us if they need size grading, what's the target production price. Based on that, we will be able to know what type of fabric they're looking for and what type of uh, like manufacturing partner best suits their needs. So once they upload all the information, they will then be able to request a round of fabric searching. Normally that's how things got started. And our China team will then go to the fabric market, which is also very close to where our office is within like 10 minutes of walk. Uh, there's like the one of the largest fabric and trim market called Zhongda. And you can literally find anything there. Uh, brands can specify the composition of the fabric they want, the color they, they're looking for, attaching some videos or photos of what the vibe and the touch and feel would look like for that fabric. And our China team will go out to search and return back the result within one to two days. Uh, the brand will receive an email telling them that fabric is being searched. They can go to their dashboard to check the available fabric. So, they, so then they go to the dashboard and then ca they can either provide more feedback for another round of fabric search if they don't like the color, the composition, the weight, whatever. Um, we do another round of search, same timeline, or if they are happy with what they get. We normally provide five options. So it's most cases enough for brands to find something they like, and they can then directly go on to place a sample order uh, with the specification of the fabric number and the color code, which they can find on the picture. Um, and then we, we, we directly assign the sample work to a, like a sample room in our building that has the capacity and has the skill set to fulfill that order. Uh, we then 
purchase the fabric for the brands and then send to the sample room um, to directly start working on it. And normally it takes around seven day-ish uh, after uh, the fabric's being searched for the sample to be complete. And brands can then directly research, uh, receive an email uh, telling them that pictures are uploaded to the system that they can check. Um, if there are any comments they wanna make, anything they wanna change before shipping out, we're able to accommodate as long as it's aligned with the tag pack, it's mistakes that we make. We even take responsibility of it. If like the if we need to even make a new one, uh, we will pay for it and we will make sure it's being done because we wanna make sure that experience itself is, is good for the brands and they're only paying for things they need to pay for. Uh, so as a platform, we do take risk of when sample rooms make a mistake, et cetera, mm -hmm. which does happen because it's a it's still a pretty um, like human involved process. Right. Prone. Um, but yeah, so like from there, we can either do do a virtual fitting if brands want or if they're happy with it, which is a lot of the cases, we ship directly to brands. Um, so that's like how one round of sample is, make, is made and they can request another round of sample with some feedback and, and uh, comments, or we can directly move on to bulk production. That's so cool. So it's like a pretty quick turnaround process, it sounds like. Yeah, very quick. So our sample uh, production normally takes around 10 days back, back to back. Um, and then shipping is like a week-ish from China to the US with air shipping. And after that, like the bulk production is roughly a month, a month time. Um, so depending on how many rounds of samples um, a brand needs, they can calculate the actual time from starting to finish. That's so cool. I love that. I feel like it, it's so hard to find like quick turnaround times in this day and age sometimes. So it's really cool that somebody could like have an idea and it be done like pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like having very agile and efficient supply chains are ultimate goal. And we did a lot of investigation into how Xing and cider companies like that are based in China, but has very strong uh, footing in the US, uh, how they run their supply chain. And we do learn a lot from them and want to build a supply chain that is as efficient, if not more efficient compared to those big fashion companies, but provide, but like make, make sure that the supply chain is you know open to all small medium independent brands because these type of infrastructural world uh, work will be too much for any one brand to uptake. So we as resource want to do the heavy lifting work to build a supply chain and uh, make it shareable among all brands. I love that. Um, you also mentioned that like a while ago that you um, work with a lot of sustainable brands too and like that that's something that you guys value. Um, so like what kind of steps do you guys take to ensure that things are more sustainable? Yeah, so there are a few things. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question because this is another area that I have <laughs> a hot take on. Because yes. like these days, like fortunately, lots of people are starting to care a lot about uh, sustainability. And I would say I talked to at least hundreds of fashion brand owners at, at this point, and ninety mm percent -hmm. of them want to build a brand that is sustainable. I think it is extremely positive for our generation mm -hmm. uh, and for generations to come um, that like people are truly starting to care about this issue. Um, however, I think like generally there is a lack of knowledge based to what mean what does sustainability mean in the fashion industry and how do you quantify it, uh, which leads to some other similar, um, you know, similar conceptions such as anything produced overseas is unsustainable. Right. 
Yeah. However, like the truth is like, like to produce one item, there are so many steps and processes involved and each step has their carbon uh, like output. For mm -hmm. example, like the fabric itself, um, most of them is not originated in countries like the US. So it's probably shipped from countries like China already anyway. Um, and then there's also fabric dyeing that is probably the most carbon consumption than anything mm -hmm. else. So these are just examples, but I, I do think like there needs to be more education. Uh, we're also actively trying to like do more research and have more educational content for our users. So they know exactly what does it mean to build a sustainable label. But for us, some, some, some of the uh, actions we are taking as a company, for example, no minimum, no minimum order quantity itself, I think is a huge, huge step. Oh yeah. Um, the production world like more and more uh, brands right now wants to do on-demand production which is great but there is no general infrastructure that actually enables that uh, obviously you can do that but like like the economic behind it will be very difficult for brands to survive and to profit and eventually for it to be successful so anything like i believe that any sustainable effort that can be successful has to be sustainable by itself. So we are building infrastructure to make one piece production uh, profitable for everyone in the process. And also at the same time, not extremely expensive uh, for the end consumer so that brands can con continuously um, push, push, push forward that model. Um, but also some other things that we do are, we provide sustainable fabric option for brands if they want. We have sustainable packaging options for brands. Uh, there's recyclable um, packaging bag as well as biodegradable bags, etc. Many of our brands are actively choosing those options. The others who made it very easy for them to decide on um, making these options and make it very accessible for them so that more brands can actively choose more sustainable packaging. And also uh, we conduct, as I said, we conduct site visit to a lot of manufacturers and we onboard manufacturers that are more, you know, sustainable by nature, ethical by nature and have like water wastage in mind when they build their manufacturer. Um, we talk to them to understand their take on these issues, et cetera. Yeah, no, I think you bring a great point that like stability. So it's so vague as a topic that there's no like right or wrong or like this is more sustainable than that. Like everybody has an idea of what it means to them. Um, and some people think it's just the fabric that you use is what makes it sustainable. But honestly, I've always thought that the production is what makes it more or less sustainable. Like you said, doing minimum order quantities is probably one of the most sustainable things you can do because you're not just like creating so much excess inventory that might not sell. And then you have to put it on for sale or like it ends up in landfills or whatever. Like I feel like that yeah. does so much more than maybe using recycled polyester for something you know yeah, exactly yeah it, it's, it's like the it's like the uh test driven approach to production like you don't straightforward producing hundreds of items and pieces you only do that once you know things are going to sell people are needing it i think mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with producing things that people actually want and need the issue is like doing access stuff that go to landfill as you said Exactly. Yeah, no, I love that. On that note, I feel like we've we've gone through pretty much everything and anything. It's been so cool talking to you from kind of like that perspective of stuff, because um, I don't really get to, I don't know, get like the insider information from most people in terms of supply chain. I feel like it's so like, 
I don't know. It's hard to get information about it sometimes. So it's really yeah. cool to talk to somebody who's like in that because you just don't get a lot of information about it. You always hear about the post-production stuff, but never like the nitty gritty of the actual stuff. So really cool. Thank you so much for coming on to talk today. Um, shout yourself out. Where can people find you and resource and all the things? Yeah, thank you so much, Natalia. It's been great talking to you as well. Um, how to find us? So we are very active on Instagram. Uh, our handle is Resource Fashion. You can directly find us there. We also have a website, which you can visit directly to learn more about our service. Once you click learn more, you will be able to watch quite a few vid videos that we make to introduce our service and provide more transparency about how things work. And if you are more of a TikTok person, we're on there as well. Uh, we have some uh, attempts to create great fun videos yeah we are also building a fashion founder community so if there's any fashion industry people that want to get involved uh we have active community on slack you can also go to our instagram and click the link in bio uh there's a link directly to join the slack group oh perfect i love that i know like there's so many people that follow me that like want to start fashion brands or are starting that so that is a great resource no pun or intended actually more things that come into my mind <laughs> yes well, go for it weekly newsletter uh that captures big news industry news happening in fashion industry um and some fun stuff about fabric uh and the styles etc so if you want to be included in our newsletter you can also go to our instagram click link in bio uh there's a link to join our newsletter list as well Perfect. Oh my gosh. You guys have like all the resources. I love it. Um, go check them out. If you haven't go follow, subscribe to the newsletter, join the group, join the community, do all the things. Um, and I will see you guys in the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.